The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. I'm sure you're not saying we should keep them closed, Professor Jerry Killeen. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? How are you, sir? You're not saying we should keep them closed, but you're saying it's a, we're in a risky situation opening them. Uh, it's not so much opening them as the position we put ourselves when we open them. So right now we're opening with you know close enough to 2,000 cases a day. Uh, you know, predominantly in younger people. We've got indoor hospitality open. Uh, we've been having our overseas holidays. And we've just had 40,000 people in the stadium in Dublin um, and lots of uh, celebrations of some fantastic hurling um, occurring around the country. So it's really not a great formula in advance of reopening schools, and then also the Department of Education's guidance on how you know on that and the support for schools is is just unacceptably inadequate. So um, so let's hope we can keep them open, um, but you know to do that we need to to give schools priority, um, and and we haven't done that over the course of the summer. Are so, we not at a point though, Jerry, where we now have huge numbers of adults vaccinated and we're working our way all the way down to the over 12s eventually and the HSE tell us that we'll be at a point of almost full adult vaccination by the end of September, start of October. So where's the problem? Uh, well, the problem is is um, when you've got something as transmissible as Delta and uh, we can express that as a basic reproduction number. So we'd say, you know, if we didn't do anything, if we just lived our lives like we did in, in 2018 or 2019, then you know, the average case of Delta would give rise to eight more cases. Uh, now, to get to the stage where your epidemic doesn't sustain itself, you need to make sure that seven of those people don't get infected. Now, even with a perfect vaccine, if you assume seven out of eight people have to be vaccinated, then that's 87.5%. And that's 87.5% of the entire population, including mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're not there yet. And our vaccine, you know, there's lots of things that happen in the real world that mean it's going to have to be higher than 87.5%. So, for example, the vaccines aren't perfect. They're very, very good, but, but they're not perfect. Uh, we also have, you know, we, we don't all mix homogeneously as a population. So we have, you know, um, clusters, notably schools. And schools is a place where we bring, primary schools are a place where we bring, you know, hundreds of unvaccinated young people together in a congregated setting. So, so you know, at current, current vaccine coverage levels will not be enough to stop this. Mm. Uh, do, do we not know be- now, because or, or, it was questioned at the start of all of this, but do we not know now that children are not vectors, Jerry? that... They, they're not super spreaders. We originally thought they were, but they're not. Well, but the, that narrative, unfortunately, it isn't true. And unfortunately, the hospitals in the States are, are filling up with children. We've seen the tragedies of children's hospitals in in Brazil. Um, and, you know, the, the Brazil experience was pre-Delta. Yeah. So, you know, that's not true. If you look at um, serological studies, would look at, you know, which look in a very sensitive way back into the, the past infection history of people. Um, even here in Ireland, those serological studies show a pretty flat age prevalence profile, which means children get infected too. And there's a whole body of um, 
high quality international literature documenting the contribution of schools to transmission systems. So I know that narrative's out there, but it, it's just simply not accurate. Yeah, there was a study from the HSE uh, published, I think yesterday was it, that since the start of the pandemic, we've had just over or just under 46,500 cases of COVID among children in the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also got to remember that those are the documented ones. So in epidemiology, we never get to see the whole iceberg. You know, we get to see... We get to see the tip of it, and the, you know the size of that fraction really depends on on who we're looking at, and their likelihood of um, of appearing on our radar, as it were. Now, with with kids, um, those probabilities are much more lower because they don't tend to get as sick. So, um, so there's there's a lot more kids have had uh, COVID than than you'll see in those stats. Yeah. And you know, and the the, the hospitalisation rate for kids are much lower than for everybody else but they're still you know they're still high enough to yeah. um, to be of concern but the big concern with kids is is long covid and those rates amongst cases in children yeah. are in the region of 7 to 8% which as a parent you know certainly gets my attention yeah yeah and and I know that some of your colleagues some of the public health doctors senior public health doctors are Dr Scally for example very very concerned about the extent of long covid in kids it's maybe one in 10 isn't that right uh, yeah yeah of course we're not sure about the exact numbers but but even if you go for the lower end of the range it's it's too high right. it's too high and and that can have a big effect on a on a kid yeah. you know at a, at a crucial time and yeah you know, when you're growing up you don't want to lose months or years to, to just not being entirely yourself. Yeah, yeah. You reckon that it's time for parents to have a, a long, hard think. Uh, about what? Well, I guess, um, you know, about our priorities, I think we, um, first of all, you know, if we do want our school to open safely, we're going to have to give up some other things. Um, you know, our, our meaningful summer, unfortunately, is going to have consequences for what happens in our schools. Um, and I also think that, you know, uh, the, when the schools get their carbon dioxide monitors, and I hope they will, you know, I think there's going to be a big learning process about how safe our schools are and are not. And and there's going to have to be some pushback. And I think the time for kind of eggheads like myself um, in this pandemic, you know, should be really coming to an end and it's really time for you know all, all the information is out there it's time for the application of common sense uh, particularly amongst parents and um, and 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 just just you know work with your school work with your teachers if you know from those carbon dioxide monitors that there is a problem and that school is not as safe as, as it needs to be you know that's not the fault of the school that's not the fault of the teachers but we're going to have to do something about that. And if you can't get your uh, carbon dioxide level in the room below 800 ppm, then then it needs reduced occupancy. It needs, um, you know, we're going to have to think some blended learning options. Um, and, uh, yeah, it might need HEPA filters. Uh, you know, structural fixes, you know, that will take too long, I think. Yeah. So, so I think we just have to have um, realistic expectations about what's going to be ahead of us. Yeah, and for... You know, for school management 
uh, Jerry. And look, <laughs> we, we've had this before. So, so, so many of, of our listeners, when when you come on to talk about what, unfortunately, is harsh reality, and and it comes from your own experience, and we all appreciate your input. If you were talking to school management, teachers, principals, and giving them advice for the next five to six weeks, what would it be? Uh, two things. Uh, masks, uh, you know, I really like Victoria's approach to it, that for primary school kids, they say, listen, we recognize that not all kids are going to, you know, they're going to struggle to wear a mask or they might wear it wrong. And, you know, they're, they're kids. So it's, it's a strong recommendation, but it's not a mandate in Victoria. You know, it's very clear they want primary school kids to wear masks, but they do have a sense of humor about the, the practicalities of this. So, so we're just everybody expected to do their best. And then the other big, big one is ventilation. Um, and so you make sure your school gets their carbon dioxide monitors, make sure. And then there's a learning process. because You don't really know how that room performs or how best to ventilate it until you've got the kids in the class. And, and, and it's a trial and error learning process. Uh, be mindful of cross flow. You know, you might be better off with, with one window open and one door open on the other side rather than all the windows on one side open. And, um, and, and that's, a, that's a learning experience all the schools are going to have to go to, through. And those are the two best weapons we have, really until mm. vaccination comes through for, for younger children as well. And I think the research is, is ongoing into that. We may have something by the end of the year. Do you share that optimism? Yeah, I do, absolutely. And I'm, I'm even more optimistic about 2022 because uh, some of those second-generation um, vaccines, I think we discussed before, they are coming through. And so, you know, we can look forward to a time when ourselves and, and lots of other people around the world who've been waiting longer than us will be jabbed with something that will give us, you know, more robust protection yeah. against a, a wider variety of variants. And, uh, and then we can really start looking forward to, we can start asking ourselves, you know, how do we bring this to a, a decisive end and, um, and, and do so securely? Jerry, I know you're a sports fan and I know that you would have watched the match on, on Sunday and, for for the for the spirit of the game and for the atmosphere, were you worried though when you saw the buzz in Croke Park? Were you kind of divided between watching sport and enjoying sport as a fan, and then from your own area of expertise, were you worried about what you saw? <laughs> well, I'm absolutely right on both counts. I mean, that was some of the most amazing hurling, and. Um, yeah, pretty good for my wife, for whom who's, who's not Irish, and for whom the whole Irish cultural adventure yeah. is totally fascinating. I mean, what better than a great All Ireland? What final? did she think of it? By the way, was it her first time to watch a big match on, t- on a hurling game? Absolutely, she loved it. Absolutely loved it. And um, of course, it was a bit painful for for all of us here in Cork. But um, but you know, I mean, what a display yeah. by Limerick! So we all enjoyed it. So and yeah, so seeing what happened in the stadium. You know, that's uh, that's not going to help. Um, but my bigger concern is this: all the other things that happened around the stadium, but particularly around the country. I mean, I saw some of the TV footage from um, you know uh, GAA clubs in in Limerick with whole families, uh, including the kids. Um, you know, none of whom have you know the younger ones don't have access to vaccines, uh, and. 
you know, and if you're a little Limerick fan in particular, you know, how could you not get excited and let your guard down? And um, and so, you know, as per the Euros, you know, unfortunately, there's going to be consequences of all that. And and the other problem is now, it's, of course, that gets everybody else up in arms asking for their sector to be reopened. Yeah. And we're already in trouble. So, you know, two wrongs don't make the right. And, um, you know, I, I guess one of the things that I always learned from... from um, from working in really high-risk environments is that we all make mistakes. The trick is to recognize that there are mistakes and don't repeat them. Um, I get very nervous about working with people who make a mistake. You know, um, they don't get eaten uh, by <laughs> the wild animals that live in our environment or they don't get kidnapped in some of the kind of dangerous urban settings and they think that's okay and they just keep on going. Yeah. So and, and they keep taking those risks. So, you know... Uh, Sunday was a mistake on epide- in epidemiological terms, and um, it would be, you know, let's not double down on that mistake. Lastly, someone has on the phone, a, pri- a post-primary teacher has a vulnerable child at home themselves. Which masks would you recommend? Ah, okay. Um, I just recently, through Ethan McLeod, that I've got put in touch with a manufacturer of a reusable, washable FFP2 grade mask. I think the company's Vectura and they do take orders from individuals um, you know, paid by credit card. So that would be that's what I've ordered in for my own family and I haven't tried them yet but it looks like a, a really good option. Because mm. children, I guess the mask, and I suppose that has to be comfortable it has to be Easy to wear for them. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, the, you know, the, the worst mask is the one that you don't wear. So, so yeah. you know, even a face covering helps, whatever you can manage. But uh, if you want something that's, that's really um, top-notch, um, I would try those reusable FFP2s, particularly for vulnerable individuals. And by text, he wants school children to wear masks. Come off it. You, that's a, there's a lot of that out there, Jerry. Uh, I know, but uh, my experience with working with kids is, is the kids are actually much easier to work with. They're they're more flexible. They're more adaptable. They don't have. They're not as fixed in their ways as us grown ups. And um, you know the, the the adults. You know, kids rely on us to look after them to make the right decisions. We we run all us grown ups. We run society. So you know, um, we put them in this position. All of us. Um, and you know, I just think we've got an obligation to to look after them, and you know, and balancing up all the. I have the same struggle with my kids. Uh, my 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 little fella only knows pandemic Ireland. He's never lived here without a pandemic. He's never gone to school without a mask. How old is he? Jerry? He's struggling with it. He's thirteen. Okay. You know, so so no, it's pretty tough on him, but. Um, you know, I've got to, as a parent, I've got to balance that up against the risks of of him getting long COVID and, and, um, and, and, you know, not knowing how long that will go on for. So, um, so, you know, these are difficult decisions. There, it is a balance of risks. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm always very sensitive to, you know, parents, we have very strong feelings of our kids and we all have to make our own decisions or, or make very careful collective decisions based on lots of discussion. So, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody you know, what to think or what to do in relation to their own children, but that's my personal perspective. Yeah. 
Last text here says, I can't open windows during class time because it's too bright to use the projectors and stuff like that. But if I in, in open all the windows during, say, a free class or a class where I'm not using projector, does that help? It will help, but but not enough. I think you have to maintain constant airflow. Um, you need a mask. You, you need a window open all the time if you can do you it. You do. You do. So, uh, and you know, it's one of those things that nobody can tell you how to do it for your particular room. You need the CO two monitor. Uh, okay. You got to try different things. Here's here's hoping they get loads. They get loads of them out there. And very final one, Jerry. The name of those masks again. The, the uh, they, I think it's Vecura. V e c u r a. Okay. Um, but I can check the spelling now. On, I'll, I'll open let, up the let the lads know, and we'll 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 mention it to, to listeners. Jerry, thanks very much as always. That's Professor Jerry Killeen, the AXA Research Chair of Applied Pathogen Ecology at UCC. Courts ninety six FM.